Well, we've been talking about spiritual gifts for six weeks now, and you may be getting tired of that, <clears throat> but I hope not, because it has a purpose. Purpose number one is that you, <clears throat> as you find your spiritual gift in the list of gifts and look at the characteristics, that you might come to a point where you see how you can be used in a greater way in God's church. But the Lord prompted me this morning to tell you that there's another important outcome of this. We want you as husbands and wives to sit down and look at your gifts and talk about them and see how that has impacted your, your lives in the past, your marriage in the past, and see how you can look at the characteristics and the misunderstandings and draw you together in a more healthy marriage relationship. So it can be a benefit to you in your marriage as well as being a benefit to you in the church. Today we're talking about the gift of teaching. And in Romans 12, 6 and 7, we have these words. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Well, there are many people that teach that do not have the spiritual gift of teaching. Uh, many people that teach in our schools have talents and abilities in certain areas. It may be music, it may be math, it may be history, it may be some other subject, and they're very good at it, and they're teaching it, but that is not necessarily the gift of spiritual teaching. Spiritual teaching depends upon the Spirit of God being in a person and teaching spiritual truth in such a way that people are encouraged to find God, to come into a proper relationship with Him, and then to live life on a higher plane. They might have a knack for languages. They might have a specific giftedness to be able to teach a particular subject extremely well. Uh, I know of people that are tremendous teachers, but they, some of them don't know the Lord. And they don't have the spiritual gift of teaching because you can't have that gift without having the Spirit of God within you. There are many that teach in our church or in small groups that may or may not have the spiritual gift of teaching, but they teach because they have enough understanding of God's Word, of the truths of God's Word, that they can teach and be effective in those realms. That might include Sunday school teachers, pastors, small group leaders, staff members. And so we have the question, should the church only allow people with the spiritual gift of teaching to be able to teach in the church? Well, if we did that, guess what would happen? We wouldn't have a lot of gifted people teaching in different areas because we don't have that many people that have the spiritual gift of teaching. It is a limited gift, but it is an important gift. So can you then say, well, I can excuse myself from teaching because I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. No, can't do that. If we did that, we wouldn't have enough teachers to go around for the different groups, for the 
children's church for other things that go on. So you can't excuse yourself. But we have to ask our question, how can those that have the gift of teaching be more effective in the church and use their gift to bless the church and to benefit the church? Well, I hope this morning as we talk about the biblical background for this, that it might prompt you to look, if you have that gift, at how you can be used in a greater way. Well, the Greek word didasko means to give instruction, to train, and to teach. Jesus is our example for the person with the gift of teaching. Everywhere he went, he was teaching. He taught in different methods. Sometimes he taught by miracles that pointed to the power of God and gave God glory. Sometimes he was teaching in small groups, like with his disciples, and training them to be all that they could be, to help them to develop so that they could be used later on in the church. And he gave instruction sometimes to large groups, like with the Sermon on the Mount. Thousands gathered together when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, and he taught them sometimes for hours upon hours. Can you imagine? You get a little nervous if church goes 10 minutes longer than you think it should go. Can you imagine sitting there for hour upon hour out on a grassy hill somewhere? Well, they did that, and Jesus was a great teacher. In Matthew 4.23, we see that Jesus taught in the synagogues. And as he taught wherever he was, he preached about the kingdom of God. The power of God, the reality of God breaking into history, breaking into lives and changing lives and allowing us to live life on a higher plane. That's what he wanted. He called people in that first message of his, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's ready. God's willing. He is providing salvation. And it's ready to break in, but we have to receive it. We have to want it. We have to open our hearts to it. He taught in the synagogues, and as he taught that message, he was trying to draw people to the Heavenly Father. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the purpose of the gift of teaching is ultimately the same purpose that Jesus had, to teach people to teach spiritual truth in such a way that it draws people to repentance and entering into the kingdom of God, entering into his presence many times through that teaching. The gospel message was that people needed to repent. Jesus was primarily a teacher. And we think about the Sermon on the Mount, and we think about him teaching the people there, and whether you're a believer, a Christian, or many non-believers, see the Sermon on the Mount as one of the greatest teachings of all time, of all mankind. He preached there and gave spiritual insight and truth. The disciples referred to Jesus as teacher. Rabboni, teacher. In Second Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 4.17, you find Paul teaching the people that had gathered around and he is teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he goes aside and he trained Timothy. 
as a disciple of his. He trains Timothy, and then he sends Timothy out. And you find in 2 Timothy 2.2 that he tells Timothy, as Timothy has gone out on his own, entrust truth. Teach those who can teach others. The multiplication of those who can have the ability to teach and proclaim the kingdom of God is what Jesus wanted. And his disciples sought to carry that out. Peter in the book of Acts as seen as a teacher, as one who proclaims and preaches the word of God. He goes back many times and recounts the history of how God has loved his people down through history and has come to the point of sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And Peter proclaims that numerous times in Acts, repeating that message to call people to repentance. And then in the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see the people gathering together house to house is what the scripture says. We don't know how many houses that was, but we gather house to house in our care groups. There's something about meeting in a home that the Spirit of God uses in a way differently from when we gather together in corporate worship. And it's a special time to be able to come together and do that. And when they gather together, they gather together for prayer. We saw the video about prayer. They gather together for the apostles' teaching. And we don't know whether that meant that the apostles taught in every group that met. Don't think they could have possibly done that because they grew and exploded so much that they had to pass on that teaching role to others. But they met and they had the apostles' teaching. Well, what was that? That was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Didn't matter who was teaching it. They were teaching how people could come into the presence of God and be born again into his kingdom. They came together for fellowship. And when you're in a care group, you have fellowship on a deeper level than you can have here. I can sit here and look at all of you, and I know all of you, but I don't know all of you as well as I know the Sunday night group that I meet with in a small group, in a care group. Because we share prayer requests, we share intimate things there that we don't share when we're sitting here in church. Sometimes we can be sitting here in church and just just be hurting inside. And that's why when Ben says to, to lay down all of your cares and your burdens, the Lord is able to receive those. You're hurting, but you don't tell anybody. And you go out of here and maybe you've laid down that burden, but it's still there. It's still with you when you go out of this place and you don't have a group of people praying for you as they should. Well, a teacher is one who instructs. He's one who clarifies. He's one who preserves spiritual truth to pass it on to others. He instructs in order to pass that on like Paul passed it on to Timothy. He wants those who have the gift of teaching to share spiritual truth, to put it out there, and others be instructed by it. He clarifies it to give new insight so that there's a better understanding of God's Word. 
And by training others, he preserves it. He's sure that there are going to be others after him that if he's not around, that can proclaim the truth of God. That's how it moved down through history and came to us. Well, Paul many times says that he didn't preach the gospel with eloquent words, but he preached it with the power of God, and he wanted the power of God to be what changed people. Not eloquent words, not eloquent speech. He evidently was not a tremendous preacher. But he preached and he taught. And the authority of the Spirit of God, spiritual truth, impacted people. The scribes and Pharisees and all those who gathered together in the synagogues saw Jesus and their proclamation was that he teaches as one who has authority. He teaches as one who has authority. What does that mean? Well, it means that God had through placed upon him the role of teaching about the kingdom of God, and he taught it in a way different from what the normal person in the synagogue was able to teach. How did that happen? How did it end up with Jesus in front of everybody teaching in the synagogue? They recognized an authority there that others didn't have. And therefore, they wanted to hear what he had to say. When Jesus was with the people on the mountain, by the sea, the crowds gathered wherever he went, he taught with authority. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6, Paul said he spoke not with words of wisdom, but that faith might be through the power of God in his truth. Not by words of wisdom, but by the power of God. When a person teaches and they have that gift, people recognize that, hey, this person is speaking in a way different from others who are teaching. They're speaking and they're proclaiming and they're able to point out truth, spiritual truth. Well, let's look at some of the characteristics here. The person with the spiritual gift of teaching has a desire, has a passion, and is motivated to search out and validate spiritual truth to point people to God. There's a reason for it. They're pointing out spiritual truth so that it will impact people in their lives and they will be pointed to God so that they will repent and be born into the kingdom of God. It has a purpose. And they're motivated to want to study and to learn all that they can. They enjoy research and detailed study. I have a little bit of a gift of teaching, but I don't enjoy detailed study. That's why I said with the gift of exhortation, you borrow from other people, truths, you recognize them, and you borrow them and you share them. But the person that has the pure gift of spiritual teaching enjoys that research, enjoys digging down deeper I've seen some people in the church that like that very much. They have the gift of teaching. Well, it likes to organize and present truth in a way that, that will enlighten people in a systematic way and help them to understand things of God. It brings joy to them when they see people beginning to, the light go on in somebody's mind or in their heart 
and they understand and they get it. They enjoy that. They like to illustrate truth with scriptural references and other illustrations. Jesus did a lot of his illustrations in the form of parables. He told stories that you say, what a simple story, but what great truth there is in it. And a teacher will illustrate so so people gain the understanding that they need. And he gives scriptural references to go with it. They have the ability to retain spiritual truth in their minds and assimilate it and then reproduce it almost at will. I wish I could produce things that almost at will. I have to work hard at it in order to be able to preach. They usually find more joy in researching than in presenting. They really enjoy the research and digging into God's Word almost more than presenting it. But because they have the gift, God motivates them to share it and teach it so that the truth can impact lives. They place great emphasis upon the meaning of words and the accuracy of words. They want to dig deep, learn the biblical languages, dig down and know the meaning of words and be sure that as they teach they have the insight from God's word and it's his word and not theirs that they're teaching. They have a tendency to want to test the knowledge of other people, those around them. And that can be good and that can be bad. (laughs) Sometimes it can be misunderstood and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But they want to sort of check people out and see how much they know. They have the tendency to feel that the gift of teaching is foundational to the other gifts. And that can lead to some misunderstandings as well and some dangers. They feel that their gift, because it is a spiritual gift of teaching, might be on a higher plane than somebody with the gift of service or exhortation or the gift of uh, mercy. They feel like that this gift is foundational because it's teaching the basic principles, spiritual principles of God's Word. Well, let's look at some of the misunderstandings that can be there. Well, the emphasis on content and knowledge may appear to people that you're being dependent upon human intellect rather than the Spirit of God. In North Georgia, and we have mountains, and the rural mountain people are a little bit different from other folks, particularly in the Atlanta area. And when you preach in a church in the mountain area, They don't want you to bring an iPad. They don't want you to bring notes. They want you to preach from the Spirit of God. And I've preached a few times in the mountains during particular emphasis, and it's tough on me because I need my notes. I need an iPad. I need something to remind me of what I have studied and taught. But I organize it. In my notes, I organize it on the iPad. And without that, I'm in deep trouble. Well, they want somebody that preaches only from the movement of the Spirit of God. And so this illustrates what we're talking about. The emphasis on content, if you got it 
here, it may not be from the Spirit of God in their minds. The emphasis on scriptural accuracy or of information may appear to neglect the practical application of truth. They want practical application, and they may be understood because the scriptural accuracy and the emphasis there may not lead them to actually apply the truth. The tendency to test the knowledge of others may appear to be a pride of learning. I know more than you do, so I'm going to test you and find out how much you know. Well, that's sort of a fleshly approach, isn't it? And somebody with the gift of teaching can be a misunderstood if people see them that way. So you have to be careful about testing other people. They may be a, appear critical when correcting factual, little factual errors in the teaching of others. I've been in some churches and some places where after the sermon was over, somebody with the gift of teaching would come up and say, well, you missed this, you missed that, you said this wrong, you said that wrong. They're motivated to, to want people to have their facts correct, their information correct, and they don't mind correcting somebody if they have made those mistakes. Well, that can lead to some misunderstandings that they think they know it all. Well, when they teach, they may appear to lack warmth and feeling. They have the information, they want to share the information, and they may do it in a very systematic way, but they may not make contact with people. They may not engage people, and they may not, may not appear to be warm and friendly as they teach. Well, some of the dangers. The first danger is that they can develop pride in their ability and their knowledge, their ability to learn. It can become a source of pride. I know more than most other people in the church, therefore I should be up here and the rest of the people are down here. That's pride. That's the wrong use of the teaching gift. They may become more interested in learning for learning's sake than for instructing and particularly forgetting that the whole purpose is to point people to God, to point people to repentance. And they may be more interested in just presenting the information than that. Well, let's look at another danger. The factual knowledge may hinder them from seeing spiritual principles and helping others to see them. They know a lot. They have a lot of information. They have a lot of facts. They know the meaning of words in Greek and Hebrew. And they have all of this. And it helps. They can't see some of the spiritual principles that come out of it. They're just interested in the factual information sometimes. And that's a danger. And they can become intolerant of others who, not, who do not seem to go deep enough in that study. They get frustrated with people. Well, why aren't they reading the Word? Why aren't they studying as much as I study? Why aren't they learning as much as they need to learn? Well, Jesus got frustrated with some of his disciples. Sometimes he got frustrated with all of them, didn't he? They weren't getting it. And there were those out there that had eyes to see but couldn't see. There were those out there that had ears to hear but they weren't hearing. To somebody with the gift of teaching, that's very frustrating. He wants them to get it. 
they may cease to use their gift and their teaching to point people to God and his kingdom. <clears throat> the end purpose of the spiritual gift of teaching is to deliver a message that Jesus delivered, to call people to repentance, to receive the kingdom of God, to receive the salvation that God offers. Well, there are a lot of benefits, but a person that uses a spiritual gift of teaching in the right way can create a hunger in the rest of the body for the Word of God. We need to be continually feeding on the Word of God and feeding ourselves spiritually. And the person with the gift of teaching can inspire, can encourage, can motivate others to want to read and get more deep into the Word of God. They can be used in the church, in the body, to help protect against false teaching. If somebody comes along and they've been to a conference or they've been somewhere in a, reading in a book here or there, and they come up with some teaching that isn't quite biblical, the person with the gift of teaching will hear it and know immediately that that's not from the Word of God. And they will be compelled sometimes to point that out, no matter how difficult that may be. They can be used of God to train and build up individuals in the body through spiritual truth. Disciple-making can be a real end and result of a person with the gift of teaching. It may be a small group of people that want to operate differently from a normal care group. Normal care group does a lot of sharing of prayer needs, praying for those needs, and then a limited time in actual Bible study. This person may have a group, and the whole focus is on study of God's Word. <clears throat> they can be used to proclaim truth to a lost world. Do we have lost people in Ketchikan? We do, don't we? Who's responsible for sharing the Word of God with those that are lost? It's us, isn't it? We're responsible. It's our responsibility to carry that truth and proclaim it. Well, a person with the gift of teaching wants to motivate others to teach spiritual truth and proclaim it to those who are lost, <clears throat> that they might repent and be born into the kingdom of God. Well, a healthy body of Christ, a healthy church, needs those with the gift of teaching to proclaim spiritual truth, to protect the body from false teaching, to be able to teach people how to share their faith, how to interact with others and impact a lost world. They may be used effectively in small groups and for training disciples. When I grew up, <clears throat> we had church a lot more than we have church today. We had Sunday school on Sunday morning, followed by worship. We had church training in the evening, followed by Sunday night worship. We had Wednesday night supper, and we gathered together for prayer and Bible study. And today... What do we do? 
we gather on Sunday morning, and a smaller percent of people gather in a care group. And that's it. Physically, if we only ate in proportion to what we take in spiritually, there wouldn't be anybody in here that would be very fat. We eat more physically than we do spiritually. We need to be coming together, worshiping God, studying His Word, and then using that to reach out to a lost world. Well, those with the gift of teaching have an awesome responsibility to teach what God teaches them and then to continue to learn and grow. They never arrive. We never arrive. We continually need to learn and grow and be built up by the Word of God. I have enjoyed the time here in Ketchikan. Uh, I spent a lot of time by myself, and it gives me time to read God's Word, just reflect on things, and maybe see some things that I haven't seen before. And we have to continue to learn and develop. Why? Well, because we need to share truth with others. We need to help them develop. But guess what? A person with the spiritual gift of teaching has to earn the right to teach. And how do you earn the right to teach? Well, Jesus taught as one who had authority. And a person with the gift of teaching will have authority that will be recognized. And people will want to gather around them and to learn and develop and grow. To excuse ourselves from study, from learning and teaching because we don't have this gift is wrong. All of us need to be into the Word of God. We need to be reading it. We need to be filling our minds and our hearts with the Word of God so that it can work in us, feeding us spiritually and helping us to grow and develop it. So my challenge this morning is let's teach God's truths, not with eloquence of words, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where it's effective, when the Holy Spirit is working through what is taught to enter hearts and lives. It opens eyes that can't see. It opens ears that can't hear. And how is that done? It's by the power of God, not by human effort. God's power working in us. If you have the gift of teaching, you ought to let the pastor know so that he can help you gather some people that you can gather with and teach and develop them into disciples so that they can teach others. There has to be a multiplication process there that's going on. So let's teach God's Word. Let's preach God's Word. Let's be effective and remember that the whole purpose is to point people to God. If it's just teaching for teaching's sake and to learn new content and new information, it misses the point. So if you're here today and you're not reading God's Word, you're not feeding your spirit, you're not in a care group, I want to encourage you to get into one. Get in a care group. Develop relationships. Grow as God wants you to grow. Let's pray.